0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John ja Morant, Joe Johnsons, jaw Raphs, of course. We've got Jays. we got them for days. Josh, how are you doing?
1: Have you seen the Naheem Hines touchdown celebration photo? I have not. I, I didn't see it. I was on AP photos earlier today for reasons that aren't aren't important at this moment in time. And I found it. There's this, and I haven't seen it on social media anywhere. I kind of thought it might blow up because it's one of the coolest photos I've ever seen. It's sort of a wide shot of Naheem Naheem Hines. Wow. That's a tongue twister, apparently running into the, throwing the ball sort of up as he runs into the end zone after the first kick return touchdown. And there, you know, Mm -hmm. he's got teammates running behind him celebrating. It's, Absolutely epic! What a what a cool thing, and that photo to top it all off. I hope so. I hope that the person who took it, I'm blanking on their name right now, gets an awful lot of credit and it blows up because that was, I mean, that's everything that makes sports wonderful. Sometimes it's easy to forget about why we love sports so much. Yesterday was not one of those days.
0: Um, I'm not convinced that wasn't staged. <laughs> Patriots weren't trying all that hard on that kick return.
1: I mean, he got a second one just to prove the point.
0: He did get a second one. That helps. It, <laughs> it, it it helps that he got another one. Although he broke two tackles on the second one, that I've never seen a kick returner break ever. Um, but you, but whether or not, and I, in, you know, you think for three seconds and you think, yeah, okay, I could see it, and then on the other hand, you like it's probably probably wasn't the case. But um, to your point. You're absolutely right. Um, it was cool to see the, you know, how different teams around the NFL sort of came together to make sure that they were um, you know, coming together in support of of Demar Hamlin, whether it be you know most most teams, if not all of them who were hosting games, you know painted it out an outline around the number three, on the 30 yard line um, on the field, you know, uh, the, the chargers and Broncos, the two guys on their team that wear the number three, you know, on, on the respective teams, like came together at center field with the, the rest of their teams, you know, locking arms behind them. Um, here in Indianapolis, there are a couple of guys who were very, who are very close to Demar Hamlin and Ronnie Thomas, you know, had a mixed day letting a interception that would have, clinch the game for the Colts, go through his fingers, but also had another interception um, was was very cool to see kind of around the league that even though it was back to football in a lot of ways, that it didn't fall by the wayside too, too fast. And eventually it will because everything does, but this week it didn't despite it being week 18 and there being plenty of other things to talk about. So that was cool.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Here you go. Can you see it? Oh my goodness, Josh is Josh is sharing. Yeah, okay. That's pretty awesome. Isn't that Epic? Look at look at, <laughs> look at Riverside doing the darn thing. Riverside.fm shouts to our our podcast recording software. Because we graduated from Zoom a couple months ago at this point. And look at that. I mean, I knew we could share screens and there, there Josh goes just off the off the off the cuff with a with a quick screen share and you, you guys can't see it but a quick screen share there i love it um, is that not one of the coolest photos you've ever seen <laughs> but that was very cool that's that's a very very cool photo um but yeah so very cool uh nfl weekend uh as things didn't fade into the to the background too quickly a good weekend in college hoops as well Mm -hmm. Uh, we talked about a a stacked slate heading into sunday uh, heading into saturday and it didn't disappoint for the most part Uh, got some really good games we're gonna look at five of them in particular four of them from saturday one of them from sunday and we're basically gonna chat about what the outcome of the game. If the outcome of the game says more about one team or, or the other, um, and if there's more to take away from what that means about what that team actually is than the other ones. So we've got five games there, and we'll walk you through them here momentarily. But before we get to that, it is a Monday. It is time to do winners and losers. So, Josh, who is your winner from the last week?
1: None other than the fighting Jerome Tangs.
0: Yeah, that's the <laughs> correct answer. That's the uh, correct answer.
1: We talked about this after the Texas win. They then promptly went and beat Baylor in a really good game. Don't have. I mean, I'm not going to go too long of about. We talked about all of this last pod. The one thing I do want to mention, though, uh here's in these two games, Marquise Noel's stat line. Two games, as in this week, Texas and Baylor. 68 points 23 assists he has three point assist double doubles in his last four games this dude is I mean the front runner for big 12 player of the year in position to maybe run away with it with now again there's a long way to go here Kansas State still has a really difficult schedule coming up. They just happen to see it seems like they get all the really difficult in the context of the Big Twelve, the really difficult games and it's front loaded where they've got a better stretch at the back end. But what this guy's is doing is insane. And of course what this team is doing, just continuing to win Big Twelve games and picking up wins on the road, which, as I mentioned last pod, Ken Pond didn't have him getting another one all season. And mm-hmm. here they are, they already picked one up. It's it's incredible. Huh. This this kind of week changes your situation heading into the NCAA tournament, whether it's because it saves you if you have a bad stretch later in the season or this is the kind of week that gets you from one seed line to the the next seed line because you picked up two road wins over really good basketball teams in conference play.
0: As equally as insane it is that he's doing it, it's equally as completely out of the blue. Completely out of the blue. Mm -hmm before his so in his last 3 games it's 32 and 14, 36 and 9 and 23 and 10. And and he's always he he's been facilitating all year. Yeah. So that's not new. But his point totals, he had a 29 <laughs> point performance against Nevada in over in an overtime game back on November 22nd. But here's his point totals otherwise 10, 13, 10, 15, 11, 13, 18, 9, 9, 13, 14. Out of absolutely nowhere. And he just decided, oh, yeah, when the competition turns to the best conference in the country, that's when I'm going to flip a switch and be a 23 and 10 guy. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, at some point, and and I don't know off the top of my head what other performances there have, what other performances in the Big 12 yeah. there. I mean Mike Miles so had far. the big
1: one. Mike Miles had the big one, but
0: but he's and probably again, got 3 of the 5 best right. so far. Something like that. He's
1: he's certainly been the best since Big 12 play started. Hands down, he's been the best player in the conference. Now, can that continue? I don't know. But if he keeps it up, he's the runaway conference player of the year, right? With what they're doing and what he's doing.
0: Yes, but also if he returns to like I'm curious how much of a lead he might like if he returns to averaging 13 and mm-hmm. nine. Yeah. Do those first three games carry him in the conversation the rest of the way they might, but, um, but that would be because there's no way on God's green earth. He's going to keep it up. There's just not <laughs> right. Respectfully I, I meant, to Marquis Noel.
1: Right. I'm um, more get, you know, averaging 18 and eight or something like that.
0: I mean, if he averages 18 and eight, I mean, Those are basically Frank Mason of the third numbers. I think Frank Mason was 20-6 and or something, like 25-5 and um, that year that he won National Player of the Year. But, yeah, I mean, at some point – I mean, the other thing is is that he just might – like his stiffest competition at this point just might be somebody else on his own team. (laughs) I mean, Keontae Johnson in those two games that we're alluding to – is 28 and 9 and 24 and 9. So,
1: yeah. So, I mean, J- Jalen Wilson is quietly having a really good season.
0: And that would be, and that would be the, that would be the one player that would give me hesitation because mm-hmm. not only is that the best player that, that's the best player on the best team in the conference. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Kansas State isn't the best team in the conference. Yeah. They're, they're way closer to number one than anybody thought they were going to be. But Jalen Wilson, I don't know off the top of my head, but it wouldn't be surprising if he was the big 12 player of the year preseason. I think think, Jalen Wilson. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was Mike miles. That was my other thought. Yeah. So I'm not positive, but I am. I'm big on the idea of guys performing who were supposed to perform in terms of the conversation for player of the years. It's just easier for a player that was in the conversation before the season started to win the, to win the, the award than it is for a guy who wasn't and Marquise Noel was not right. So it it was Mike miles. It was Mike miles. Okay. So I'm sure in the voting that Jalen Wilson was somewhere high up there and, you know, Mike miles hasn't been, certainly hasn't been bad. And he was, you know, in their loss to Iowa state, which we'll talk about. He had a, a lower volume day, but still a, a really efficient one. But it is a, an intriguing player of the year race in the Big Twelve. And at, if it, if the season ended ended today, it, it it would certainly have to go to to Marquise Noel and Kansas State would probably have two of the top five in in the conversation. So
1: what a, what a statement that is.
0: Kansas State is my winner as well. It's hard to beat a team that in the best conference in the country went two and zero against. Two of the teams that, at least we thought, were one of the two of the best teams in in, in the conference. Texas, 116-103, went over them ninety seven, ninety five over Baylor, both on the road, which is crazy town that we're talking about a two and O Kansas State week on the road against Texas and Baylor. But alas, here we are. So they're my winner as well. Who's your loser? My loser is New Mexico. Interesting.
1: We started this week with a New Mexico undefeated. Mm-hmm. New Mexico then proceeded to lose to, to Fresno State on the road and then home against UNLV. So you go from 14-0 and 0 with wins over St. Mary's, who we've talked about, Ken Palm absolutely loves, and a decent Iona team to 2-2 two two in the Mountain West. Was this going to last? No, probably not. But... This is the kind of week that really, for a team that doesn't have much margin of error because you're in the Mountain West, to lose back-to-back conference games like that really hurts and, and sort of takes away some of the the cushion that you had built with this really good start you had if you're, if you're New Mexico. So not too much to add there, just when I was thinking about teams that really hurt their NCAA tournament chances and hurt their seeding to me it was pretty obvious which team did the most damage to themselves and that's the Mountain West team that went from being undefeated to having two conference losses.
0: Yeah, they're still even after even after the week 50th in the net. Um still 2 and 1 in quad 1 and 2 opportunities. They have a quad 3 loss. One of those losses was a quad 3 loss, which isn't great, but still no quad 4 losses. So still in position to be in position mm-hmm. if they win at a high clip for yeah. the rest of the season. But you're right. The We went from, man, that's the only team left in the country that's undefeated to things are just more stressful for, for the Lobos waking up this morning. Uh, because like you said, the margin of error, just reality of the situation is that you just don't get that many chances uh, once you get to conference play. Yeah, I mean and in general when when you play in the Mountain West conference but you know they there there's a, a San Diego State team that's Right. that's 20th at Kempom and and it has a decent net ranking um Nevada is a top 60 Kempom team along with Utah State and Boise State like these things hopefully they'll have some opportunities and get some wins that continue to strengthen their resume and they'll end up being in a a decent spot when it comes to an at large conversation, because it's going to be difficult for them to to win that conference tournament. It just it just is like that's not a that's not a cakewalk, and um, so a foregone conclusion that they win that tournament. It certainly is not that. So uh, we'll keep an eye on them throughout the throughout the rest of the season. But yeah, it's unfortunate how quickly. That the, the that kind of thing can turn when you're a mid-major, when you're a mid-major team.
1: And if one of those losses had come to San Diego State, it's a different conversation, right? right? That's really what I'm getting at here is it's not like you lost to the two of the other three best teams in your conference where you're going to be able to pick up the wins and it's not going to hurt you. They've built themselves a nice margin of error here with, you know, the way that they started. And right, like you said, have these opportunities. It's not the Mountain West is bad just those losses don't look great. It's not like you, you had a San Diego state loss in there where nobody really expected you to win that game anyway. And it's not a big deal. Now you combine these losses and now there's that pressure to get that win over San Diego state. That is going to be a difficult task because they're also having a really good season.
0: Right, exactly. Um, My loser is Indiana. And we're going to talk about Indiana a little bit more later in the podcast. So I'll keep this brief, but two losses they they jumped out on iowa fast they're up like 27 to 9 something like that um iowa comes back and wins 81 uh, 89 then they lose to northwestern inside assembly hall 84 to 83 those in and of themselves are losses that you can't take if you have fancy winning a big 10 regular season title and then on top of that race thompson uh, got hurt this week is out indefinitely and uh I'm going to talk more about that later in the podcast, but um, from a aspirations of winning their conference and their team fundamentally changing in a negative way, Indiana was at the top of that list this week. So uh, the Hoosiers, unfortunately on uh, are my loser this week.
1: Yeah. I won't, I won't add anything else here. Cause like you said, we're going to talk about them later. Uh, yeah. The double loss sort of disappointing how it happened and losing a key player all in the same week. Very, very
0: unfortunate combination for Mike Woodson. Yeah. They've lost four of their last six, and five of their last eight. So a tough stretch for, for the Hoosiers, and now they get to play Penn State, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State in the next four games because it's the Big Ten, and you just never get a break against a truly bad team. They're just waiting for Minnesota on Wednesday, January 25th. Um, that was a ricochet shot at Minnesota. I apologize to the Gophers. Um, but that's winners and losers every single week on Monday. We'll do that through the end of the regular season, through the end of, I suppose through selection Sunday. Uh, I suppose that the, the Monday before selection Sunday, cause the Monday, so the Monday after selection Sunday, it's quite obvious who the winners and losers are. um, but every Monday, winners and losers throughout the rest of the season. Okay, the exercise today is as follows. Five games from the weekend, and we're deciding which, what the result says, which team we learned the most about, what it says more about one team or the other, based on the result of that game. So the five games are as follows. UConn and Creighton. A UConn win at home. Kentucky and Alabama like clockwork. Kentucky losing big in games against good basketball teams. Auburn versus Arkansas and Auburn win for the Tigers. Sorry, that's that's Coach O. My bad. Um, <laughs> Iowa State TCU another good Big Twelve game there that came down to the wire. And um, a game that Iowa State won on the road. And then Indiana and Northwestern, as just mentioned, we'll talk about that game as well. Let's start in the Big East. UConn and Creighton. Uh, UConn getting a W in that one in stores. The final score of that game 69 to 60, 15 and 2, 4 and 2. In the Big East, Creighton now nine and seven and three and two in conference play. Um, Their first loss since December 16th. Mr. Doring, let's talk UConn Creighton. What, uh, which does this say more about UConn or does it say more about Creighton? To me, this says much more about
1: Creighton, which might be the sort of unpopular or Minority opinion here, but you go two of sixteen from three, you turn the ball over nine more times than UConn did, and you were still kind of in the game. Now, they were never gonna win this game, but there were until the final four or so minutes, they were still, you know, three possessions. Maybe if they there was a I think they got it to within maybe they didn't get it into a six within six, but there were a couple wide open three pointers that could have cut the deficit to, I think it was six and they just, I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't hit a shot to save their lives, but they were still within single digits. And on top of all of that, Ryan Kalkbrenner did not do much to stop Adama Sinogo. Adama had his, the uh, reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated game here <laughs> mm. and was absolutely dominant. So, you know, I talked about, I feel like with this UConn team, you have to do a certain amount of things really well to beat them, or else you just, especially in stores, you just have no hope. Creighton didn't do nearly enough of those things and still almost won this game. So I came away kind of thinking, A, if they hit some shots, they're in business, which they had been doing, and it just fell apart in this particular game. And B, if I'm Creighton in terms of Maybe not the regular. um, And they're still right there in the Big East title race in terms of battling with UConn because they both have two conference losses now. But just from a hierarchy standpoint, from a conference tournament standpoint, from a rematch standpoint, if I'm Greg McDermott, I come away from this game feeling more confident and being less afraid of UConn than I was before playing that game. For me, I come away more confident that Creighton can still end up getting close to the team that they were supposed to be and potentially evolve into a final four contender. I really feel like they have figured things out and this game was just the game where everything went wrong and they were still within business. you so know, still within striking distance because of their defense and what they were able to to do to bother UConn a little bit. They were never winning this game. They didn't play nearly enough well enough to win, but that was my sort of my bigger takeaway was I'm still on board with this Creighton team. I'm going to go down with the ship. (laughs)
0: Um, I think it says more about Creighton too. Um, I, I just, I mean, the Snogo was really good. 10 of 20 for Snogo is not dominant, not a dominant efficiency performance. Sure.
1: Taking 20 shots to get
0: 26 points is not, is not dominant. I mean, he was great, but I mean, he knocked down a pair of threes and it still Mm -hmm. took him 20 shots to get to, to 26 points. Um, Creighton is incapable of winning games that they don't play well offensively. Their seven worst offensive efficiency games, their seven losses. When they don't shoot it well, they don't win. And they just don't. I don't and I don't know what it is. Because you would think that a team that's as good as defensively as they are, and right, some of that's without Kalkbrenner and right, yada yada yada. Um for a team that is as solid defensively as they are. Like, this was a game, like, at the same time, you you held UConn to shooting 35% from the field.
1: Yeah, right. Oh, if they would have been 5 of 16 from 3, they very well might have won.
0: Right. And they haven't done that over and over and over again. They've failed to make the two more shots that they need to over and over and over again. Their offensive efficiency and wins this year, 120.4 on average. Their, off- their efficiency and losses this year on average, 91.9. They their guards and specifically their guards, their guards don't have like oh, we were just okay games. Mm-hmm. Their guards have we were really good or we were horrible. Right? Yep. Um starting guards were eleven of thirty-six in this game. And their ugly loss to Marquette, yes, without without Cockburner. But specifically talking about the guards, when they lost to Marquette and scored fifty-eight points. Uh, ten of thirty-one from the field. They just don't have those games where it's like, yeah, you would have loved for them to be a little bit better, but like ultimately they were like fourteen of thirty-six from the field. Like four more shots, they would have won the game. Four more baskets go down, they would have won the game. And uh, to your point, they also seem to be knocking on the door with wide open, with some really good looks late in the game, and then just couldn't knock any of them down. And then couldn't get a defensive rebound late in the game. To I mean. Yukon's like Yukon's second like Yukon's last real possession of the game was like 45 50 seconds long. Because they ca- they got like three offensive rebounds on the mm-hmm. possession. And it went from Creighton's okay, Creighton's down six with two and a half minutes left to Creighton's down six with I think I think UConn ended up scoring eventually on the possession. Maybe not. Maybe I'm misremembering that, but I think they did. But it went from okay, they're down six to they're down six or eight with seventy-five seconds left because yep. the the possession. So that didn't help either. Um, I think right. I think it's interesting because I think we're getting at the same point with optimism versus pessimism. Yep. <laughs> because here, I because here, like it makes me feel like any time Creighton doesn't have it in the first half, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to assume they're going to lose if it's a good team because they, they never seem to really find it at any point. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And because it's just going to be hard to against the best teams in the country, which is, you know, you'll have to beat the best teams in the country to go to the final four. Right. Like how, how, how often are you going to do better than holding Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, Alex Caravan and Tristan Newman to four field goals combined from two point range. Like, and they made a combined, let's see, they made four, they made six, three pointers combined. So they got 10 field goals between those four players. Um, it's just putting a lot of pressure on your defense. And I, I am, I am, I am a believer in Creighton's offense with call on the floor and the things that he unlocks for the offense. But the unfortunate reality is, is that sometimes those guards just can't hit the broadside of a barn. I mean, on Christmas Day, Trey Alexander had 32. And in this game, he was three of 14 from the floor for 11 points. Like, I think that's just kind of the reality of the situation. Baylor Shireman is awesome. Baylor Shireman is not an efficient biggie scorer. And it's been that way all season. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I'd love to see them not shoot it well and beat a good team. That's kind of where I am with Creighton right now and just find a way to win it. And I don't really know what that, if there's a larger point to make there other than simply that. But um, but that's interesting because I think we were getting at the same point with with different um, with different perspective.
1: Yeah, I'll just stick to the idea that a lot of that happened without Colt Runner and before they <laughs> got sort of back to looking like themselves at the start of Big East play here until this game, right? In the sure. last few weeks, this has been the exception, not the rule.
0: So and it's also Butler, DePaul, and Seton Hall.
1: Yeah, that's three bad Big East teams.
0: So, well, unless Seton Hall's playing Butler, then it's the best. Yeah, the d- sure. Yeah.
1: So it's a. the question is, okay, when you get another game, when you get a game against Xavier, when you get a game against Marquette, mm-hmm. when you get a game against Providence, who maybe aren't Yukon and specifically Yukon on the road and aren't the bottom of the big east what does that look like we just don't really know the answer to that question yet that's where i'm holding out hope
0: and we'll know by the next time we podcast yes. they play Xavier and Providence this week yep. so we'll know by the next time well by the next monday pod we do we'll we'll have a better idea of that okay moving forward kentucky alabama like i said before as we we're introing the segment here um Death taxes and Kentucky gets run off the floor by a good basketball team. At the very least, Kentucky looks outclassed by a good basketball team. Final score here, 78 to 52. It was close for the first 10 minutes, and then it was very much not close for the next 30. And that's just kind of been the nature of the beast for Kentucky this year is that when they play a good team, they don't play well. And uh they're not especially giving they're not even giving themselves chances to win these basketball games uh late in the second half. So what say you does this tell you more about Alabama or tell you more about Kentucky?
1: Kentucky because it's hard to take anything away for Alabama mm-hmm. doing what the his you know, what history suggested they were going to do to this Kentucky team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't say that much about Kentucky either, because it's not like any of this is new. <laughs> The one point I want to make, though, is, and I think Seth Greenberg pointed this out at halftime, and I hadn't really thought about it this way, but it was an astute observation. If if you think, I mean, you're very much on board with this idea, if you think Kentucky's offense is bad when Oscar Sheboy is doing Oscar Sheboy things, now when you have Charles Bediaco to play him one-on-one and actually bother him, and I know you're probably going to get to your favorite stat of the weekend, which is how bad. Poor Kentucky's best, some of their you know best most important players, including Sheboy, were in this game. If you can guard him one on one and don't have to always double, which is that's what I came away thinking about, right? Is that this entire offense is based around Sheboy demanding double teams, not just Mm -hmm. Sheboy, but Sheboy forcing the defense to do other things than just guard him. Sure. And Alabama just don't have to do that. And so now you've got that combined with Alabama's length and athleticism, which also bothered Houston. They're just difficult to deal with because they've got all these, you know, super long wingspan NBA looking guys. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and they've got a a solid defensive center who can hold his own against Sheboy. That's just a formula for disaster for Kentucky. That's really all I have to say about it.
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's just a continuation of what we've seen all season right right their best one is michigan which michigan getting to big 10 play has made that win look a little better still not great their losses michigan state in overtime and then gonzaga by double digits ucla by double digits missouri by double digits and oh yes alabama by double digits um it's pretty it's pretty stunning how how this team just doesn't get up for big games cuz like even the worst teams in the country get up for big games sometimes you know like and you would think that at some point Kentucky was just going to have a Kentucky well, i suppose a different performance cuz i suppose the argument is that this is a Kentucky performance at this point um and they just they just don't um. Yes, my favorite stat of the weekend is that Jacob Topp and Oscar Shebue and Kason Wallace were three of thirty from the field. They took two free throws. Two. Listen, Oscar Shebue, being the force that he is, him only taking two free throws in a game is crazy. Crazy. Um, nine points, thirty shots. Um. They're one in five and quad one and two opportunities this season. Oh, and four and quad one specifically like this is if the tournament started tomorrow, Kentucky's probably not in the tournament. Here's a list of teams for fun that have more quad one wins than Kentucky. Are you ready? Lock in. Oh, Buckle boy. up. Weber state. Southern Illinois. UC Irvine. Northwestern state. Trivia time. Where's Northwestern state? Louisiana. Is it? I don't I I'm pretty know sure. I, don't, I, I, I was I was hoping you knew because I had absolutely <laughs> no clue. Let's look. That's North, not fair if you're gonna throw
1: a tribute time at me and you don't know the answer.
0: Well um they do you know where in Louisiana? <laughs> no. I I'm gonna butcher it bad. Nachitoches? Oh. Nachitoches? I had Nachitoches? A, uh... One of
1: my prof- one of my professors at Butler was friends with – no, w- was a professor there before. At one point, I knew how to pronounce that. I don't remember anymore. That's okay. right. Yep, that city.
0: Mm-hmm. Northwestern State, 250th at Kempom, has more quad one wins than Kentucky. Uh, Grand Canyon, FGCU. And then Florida Atlantic and Sam Houston, they have two more quad one wins than John Calipari's Kentucky team. Um, It's, it's crazy. I mean, and, and I was on this podcast at the beginning of the season before the season started thinking that I was a little bit crazy for (laughs) picking somebody else other than Kentucky to beat, to win the sec. And now here we are on January 9th and the words, I'm not sure Kentucky's a tournament team, nor do I believe that I, nor do I have faith in Kentucky to put a tournament resume together in the last two months of the season. That's a crazy thing to say. And if you ask me to bet, I'd probably still bet on Kentucky making the tournament. But they do have work to do. Like that is like straight up they have work to do if they want to get in the tournament. They can't just coast and only beat the teams that they should beat the rest of the way. Because now that at this point that list of teams is not good enough for them to make the tournament uh, in March. Yeah,
1: it's that was probably the smartest thing you've said this season.
0: I know, right. There are a couple of like swing and misses. Like at one point I was questioning whether or not Kansas was gonna be that good. Kansas is really yep. good. Yeah. Um, but there are some things that I'm proud of from preseason. That's one of them. Uh different SEC game. Here we go. Auburn and Arkansas. In in Auburn. The Tigers, not Ed Ordon, sorry. You <laughs> are
1: just the, going to
0: the, the SEC squad the, and then LSU, that's the Tigers. <laughs> the Tigers get a 72-59 win at Neville Arena. What say you? This is a I mean 13-point win for Auburn in a building that is really not fun to play in. Um at this at this point in the lifespan of Auburn men's basketball, any team losing. At Neville Arena is just not that big of a deal, Um, but it is an Arkansas team with high expectations, an Arkansas team that's had a weird season for multiple different reasons. Uh, What did this outcome tell you more? Did it tell you more about Arkansas or more about Auburn?
1: Arkansas, just because I feel very much like we know who Auburn is, and the guards made some shots. They weren't uber-efficient, but Wendell Green had a good game they they made enough shots and Auburn, like you said, just doesn't lose at home. It's not a thing that happens. So ultimately, I don't have too much to take away from that. On the Arkansas side, and I also just want to talk about Arkansas for a minute. That's part of this too, because this is getting really interesting for me. And it sounds like Nick Smith is at least going to be another couple weeks. We're talking about, it sounds like a best case scenario, some kind of February return. And it just seems like every time I watch Arkansas without him, they just, outside of Anthony Black and Ricky Council, they just don't have a way to create offense. And it's really, really difficult to watch at times as a result. Now, and we were talking while we were watching this game about the idea that, you know, if Ricky Council is doing what Ricky Council is doing, and you would have just given that piece of information with no context. The logical conclusion would have been Arkansas looks like potentially the best team in the country, if not Mm -hmm. the best team in the country,
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: he wasn't supposed to be this player and he's been really good, which is why they've kind of been able to survive, but he goes five of 15 in this game. And that's kind of, I mean, Anthony Black was really, really good, but that's the end of the story. You can't just, you're not beating Auburn and you're not beating Auburn at home for sure with one guy. Mm -hmm. And the, the bigger point I want to get to here and have a little bit of a conversation about is we talked about preseason this idea that all the pieces fit right because nick smith is kind of your bucket getter anthony black is your facilitator jordan walsh is your defender trevin brazil and your other pieces on the interior are your your athletic your additional athleticism your rebounding your right your pick and roll that nothing overlaps and nobody sort of takes away each other's strengths and losing brazil is a big deal because he had been really good I just, watching Nick Smith a little bit that we've got to see him, he just looks different. And without him, the the pieces just don't fit. Because now Anthony Black has to be your scorer and your facilitator, which in terms of guys helping their draft stock, I mean, (laughs) he's been really good and proven he can do both of those things. But that's a lot of pressure to put on him. Ricky Council now has to be an efficient, high-level scorer in the SEC, which is not what he was supposed to be. And right, if one of them has a bad game, now you're asking these other guys who are not shot creators to be shot creators because you don't have your shot creator, which is Nick Smith. Mm-hmm. So I'm still holding – it's not that I'm actually overall worried. Now, the Brazil injury may end up being a big deal in terms of what their ceiling is. If they can get a healthy Nick Smith back – to me, this is still a Final Four caliber team. But they need a healthy Nick Smith back or it's just going to be a struggle on offense sometimes.
0: Real quick on Auburn, I'm not ready for right what you said. This is Auburn winning a game at home. It's been they don't lose a game at home last season. You know it's been you know the late stages of the 2020 21 season since Auburn lost a game at home. It's also a team that since December 10th has losses to Memphis, USC, and Georgia, and they got handled by Georgia in the last seven days. So you can we can stop at the hey, Auburn's guards played well and it was at home, right? And when those two things happen, it's going to be really hard to beat Auburn. Um, what you've said is is spot on. And, and the unfortunate reality, I think, and and I'm out on their Final Four potential unless something drastically changes. Because at some point, I mean, guy, five-star freshmen who have been in and out of the lineup all season don't just show up and then play great in the tournament. It doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, he needs to, he needs to be back in early February and get a month under his belt having right. any hope of being what, he's, what Eric Musselman wants and kind of needs him to be. Yeah, I'm and, with you
0: there. And the, the, the thing that the player that I think of most the – the player I think of first when I think of that is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving was clearly different at Duke that year he was at Duke but he missed a lot of the season came back right before the tournament and then Duke got bounced early if for you know and it's not like Irving was bad it just was it was a freshman who still hadn't really played college basketball yet and as good as Nick Smith looks you know nagging injuries are already concerning right it's not like he did something structural and it healed and he's going to come back. It's like, you know, it's, it's nagging and he's kind of in and out of the lineup and he hasn't really, he hasn't been healthy all season. Um,
1: And it sounds like they're still trying to figure out exactly what's going
0: on and how to fix it, which is concerning. Right. And, and I also, like I was a big believer in what Travon Brazil meant for that basketball team. At this point, Arkansas is the team that I just feel like we're going to look back And see that roster, and we're going to be like, oh man, that roster was crazy. And then we're going to look a little closer and realize that we never really saw that team at full strength. And with and and now Brazil's out for the season, we're never going to see this team at full strength. Now, if Nick Smith is healthy and playing well, we're a whole lot closer. And to your point, the most important pieces at that point fit together a little bit better. So, in theory, their ceiling is still high. And I'm not necessarily out on them as a Final Four team because I don't think their ceiling when everybody is healthy is, isn't high enough. I do think it's high enough. I just don't think we're ever going to see it. And that sucks because it's really tough in the... And the maybe overblown is we are also talking about this weekend the overblown conversation about how many players aren't choosing to go to college when a heck of a lot of players are still choosing to to go to college, especially this year when a lot of the guys in the draft that we're talking about are not playing college basketball this year. Whether it's Wembenyama or Scoot Henderson, that Nick Smith was kind of third in that conversation, and we were going to get to see him in college. I just I really hope that he gets healthy and that we get to see him for you know. Even if Arkansas doesn't go deep in the tournament that we get him for six weeks, you know, at the end of the tournament and then the SEC tournament and, you know, maybe a couple games uh, in the field of 68. So I hope that I'm wrong about that and that by the time we get to March 9th, you know, two months from today that we feel like Arkansas is a title contender, but as they're presently constructed and with my faith that he'll actually be all cylinders go by that point. Um, I don't consider them a contender, which sucks. I because I, they're fun. They got a lot of really fun, talented players, um, and it just right now, uh, isn't as working as seamlessly as we were hoping it would. And that's
1: because you know the pieces Eric Musselman had or thought he had, he doesn't have. Right. That, right. It's not that something necessarily went wrong, other than no, it's no, just. No. And not that that you were suggesting that. Yeah, it's just it's not the team that they were supposed to have, which is unfortunate. And I'm I'm holding out. I'm with you that if you're asking me, am I going to consider Arkansas a Final Four contender when we're making NCAA tournament brackets? My answer right now is no. I'm just holding out a slight smidgen of hope that we feel very differently in a month and a half when Nick Smith is back and looks like himself.
0: Will that happen? Who knows? I think that's a very fun thing to hope. Yes. And certainly more fun than just assuming that he's never going to be right in his college in his college career, which would not be fun. Okay, moving to the Big 12. Not back to the Big 12, right? We haven't had a Big 12 game yet. So moving to the Big 12, Iowa State TCU. First of all, okay, 69-67 win for Iowa State. They're up by eight with two minutes left in this game. Then probably the most poorly managed 90 seconds of college basketball I've ever seen from the Cyclones. And then perhaps the most hectic final possession that leads to a game winning shot I've ever seen. Certainly this season, it's certainly the wildest ending to a game I've seen this year. Uh, All ends with Gabe Kelcher, you know, eventually ending up with the basketball on the three point line and he hits a three with, you know, a second and a half left and, I would, and it wasn't tied. Iowa State had given up the lead. It was 67-66 in favor of TCU after the, I believe it was 66-58. I believe that was the score. It was something think, like that. I think they went on a 9-0 run because they hit a three and then the press got some turnovers and then there was a travel and yeah, it was, it was bad. There were a couple of like, why are you taking that shot when there's 24 seconds left on the shot clock? What is going on? Um, that kind of thing, but it ended with a Gabe Kelcher three pointer, sixty nine sixty seven. The Cyclones are twelve and two, and three and zero in conference play. Um, Who does this say more about? Oh,
1: Iowa State for sure. Okay, uh, yeah, it was funny because I I had a prior commitment and couldn't watch the end of this game, so I watched it as long as I could, and it was about th- two minutes left, I think, and. They were up eight or something, and I thought, okay, this game—I I saw what I needed to see. Then mm. about fifteen minutes later, I checked—I <laughs> checked the score on my phone, and they were losing. And then I checked it again when I had the opportunity, and I went, "Oh, they actually won." Well, how did mm. that happen? <laughs> it was a very strange series of events. Yeah. Uh, here's my trivia time for you. Okay. Like you said, this is Iowa State's third Big Twelve win of the season. Do you know when their third Big Twelve win came last season? What day? <laughs>
0: I ha- I also have Big 12 stats, but I don't have this one particular specifically compared to last year. Um, January 28th. Oh, very close.
1: 26th. Okay. It was game eight. So they started game three eight. and five last season, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. they had, I mean, the, I think the first game was Baylor. So it was, you know, yep. you're, you're not losing. I mean, you're not winning that one, but then they had some close road losses, lost a game. Probably they shouldn't at home. I think they beat Texas Tech at home. It wasn't a great start after that undefeated non-conference. So that's the first part of this is they're winning big 12 games at a consistent clip that was something they struggled to do last season. Mm -hmm. Second, and this is really just the point I want to make and kind of my theory as to why this has started so much better for TJ Otzelberger. Last year's team, if Isaiah Brockington wasn't scoring in isolation, they were really just kind of doomed. I mean, maybe they Mm -hmm. could beat you 48-46, but that was the only hope. Right, to 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 the Creighton conversation we were having earlier. They actually did win some games solely based on their defense. But also you're playing in the Big Twelve, you're not going to get away with that very often. So sometimes Isaiah Brockington was good enough to give them the offense they needed and they got, you know, the 62 54 win. This game, five guys finished in double figures, two of whom came off the bench, and there are three guys on this team and Jaron Holmes, Gabe Kalsher, and Caleb Grill. This is kind of a weird statement, but <laughs> Those three guys who could be this team's leading scorer on any given night. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that actually mean? It's still a fair question, right? I think Kelcher led the team with 15 points in this game. It's not like he had 30. That's but correct. But Caleb Grill has you know, gotten to the 25-point mark a couple times. Jaron Holmes has had some really good games as well. When you play defense the way they do, all you need is one or two guys to have a good game. And they're in a much better position to have that this season because they're not reliant on one guy. You don't know where the scoring is coming from every game, but they've gotten it pretty consistently from somebody. You know, Cale Grill was really poor in this game, and it didn't matter because the rest of the team picked him up. The bench picked him up. Mm -hmm. Against North Carolina, he more or less single-handedly won that game. They're just so much more balanced on the offensive end, and that gives me a lot more optimism about their ceiling and their ability to keep this up in conference play. So that's – TCU, I feel the exact same about I did before this game, so that's why I went with Iowa State.
0: You know, I think Iowa State has a couple things. Um, one, they're a team that their coaches figured out how to get absolutely everything out of. Yep. Like, it was Caleb Grill who had just, like, randomly had 32 points, right?
1: Yeah, against North Carolina.
0: It was against North Carolina, and yeah. he just hadn't had 20 before in his entire college career. Or he'd gotten to 20, like, twice.
1: Twice. And one of them was at UNLV, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like what in the world? Come on, <laughs> he's like, what are we doing? Like what yeah, are we doing? Yeah, he's turned. He's, he's turned into a somehow, someway turned into a really good Big Twelve player. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And and, and the other part is that it just seems like Iowa State has the we're going to win all the close games we're in this year. Um, their two losses they've just kind of lost in convincing fashion, right? They lost to UConn by eighteen. They lost to Iowa by twenty nineteen their best wins, right? They beat Villanova in overtime, 81-79. They beat North Carolina by 5. And then in the Big 12, right, they they handled Baylor convincingly at home, 77 to 62. But these last two games they won 63 to 60 on the road and they won 69 to 67 on the road. Now, granted, this 69-67 win where they needed the three-pointer to win the game probably shouldn't have been it didn't need to be that stressful. It was, but at the end of the day they ended up with more points than the other team. And I don't really know how else to put it other than they're just the team that's going to figure out how to have more points than the other team by the end of it. Whatever that means, whether that's. Hey, Caleb grill, can you give us 30 please? (laughs) Or Hey, Gabe Kelcher, we're going to throw the ball up around like a volleyball for the last 17 seconds of this game. But Hey, can you make a three for us with three seconds left? Yeah, I got you. Um, I, like, I don't really know how else to describe it, because but their defense is going to keep them in it. They're the best turnover rate team in the country defensively, turning teams over on 30% of their possessions, which is crazy, by the way. Um, they don't do a ton great offensively. They just don't. But to your point, they do enough on enough nights. They're, they're going to beat a lot of teams this year. And the last thing I want to say is like I'll be stunned if it slows down the way that it slowed down in Big 12 play last year. Mm-hmm. And like yes because they're 3 and 0 and like you said it took them 20 more days last year to get to three conference wins and they're 3 and 0 right now. Um they were 12 and 0 going into conference play last year, finished 2 22 and 13 and that was with two wins in the NCAA tournament. I believe they finished 20 and 11 in the regular season, so they lost 11 of their last what is that? 19 games right I think they finished 8 and or 7 and 11 in conference I think that's what it was oh because they played they played a random non conference yeah. game in the middle mm-hmm. of their conference schedule so that's where yeah. the other one came from yeah. um, so they did they won 8 of their last 19 games um, 3-0 this year and the, the other part specifically that I want to touch on is <clears throat> excuse me is two of those games on the road. Do you know how many road ones they had last year in big 12 play? I'll say one. It's more than I thought it was. It was three. Uh, I thought it was going to be one or two. Yeah, it was three, which is still not very many. But like honestly, going three and six on the road and big 10 and big 12 play is like not horrible. But they weren't great at home mm-hmm. either. Um, they haven't lost a home yet this year and they only have lo- they've lost one true road game. Their their Yukon loss was on a neutral court. Um and they lost to Iowa on the road. But they found two wins on the road. That's two, that's 66% of the way to the mark they were last year. 3 and 0 in conference and they've already played Baylor and TCU once. Now, your reward, you get to play Texas Tech, Kansas and Texas in the next 10 days <laughs> or 8 days, excuse me. Um, and then you follow that up with Oklahoma, Kansas State, Missouri, Texas Tech, Kansas, all before February 5th. You're welcome. Welcome to the Big 12. But um, And we are talking about this a little bit with Kansas State, that Iowa State is also now in a position that they're going to have to shoot themselves in both foots and maybe chop off one of their own legs to not get into the tournament. They've put themselves in a really, really good position at this point, and I'll be very surprised if it slows down yeah at least to the extent that it did last year right
1: now the question is the same with both teams and is can they keep pace with Kansas mm-hmm. and if Texas finds a way to stay in that conversation as well and TCU theoretically as well you know none of these teams right Baylor's the one team that was in that title conversation that has really struggled at the beginning of big 12 play everybody else is hanging in there just fine or. Iowa State and Kansas State able to make themselves factors or are they going to finish 12 and 6, you know, two, three games back of first place and get themselves five, six seeds, have phenomenal seasons and never be worried about their NCAA tournament hopes, but also never, you know, quite get to that real contender status. Or are we going to look up and, you know, they're eight and one halfway through conference play? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Trivia time! How many games is Kansas, is Kansas supposed to win the Big Twelve by via Kim Pum?
1: I'll say
0: fifteen. They're going to win the Big Twelve by fifteen games. Oh
1: oh oh oh! I thought you meant how many Big Twelve games are they going to win?
0: Oh no no no! Oh. It's less than fifteen though.
1: Okay, I'll say two games.
0: Three. Really? They're projected to go 13 and 5, and Kansas State and Iowa State are projected to go 10 and 8. Wow. All three teams are 3 0 right now. Texas is the only other team uh, projected to finish over 500 in conference play. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that means TCU is not projected to go over 500 in conference play. That's wild. I know, right? Uh, I don't know how and I part. Wait, and part of me is like, what are you doing, Ken Pomeroy? And the other part of me is like, well, somebody's got to lose games, and maybe they just all of those teams, you know, maybe Kansas does end up thirteen and five, and there are six teams in the middle that some finish somewhere between eight and ten and ten and eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think TCU is going to finish under five hundred in conference yeah. play, but um, it's not ludicrous uh, when you when you think about it for a couple more seconds than the than the gut reaction, anyways. Um Iowa State and TCU delivering good Big Twelve games. Shouts to the Big Twelve. By the way, those are two teams that the Big is not missing. Not, not not losing. Just FYI. Um, as is Kansas. As is Kansas, right. And Kansas State. And in Kansas State. I think it's gonna be okay. They're they're not adding any good basketball programs either, are they? Of course not. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Anyways, um, last, last but certainly not least. Maybe it is least. I don't know. Um, Indiana Northwestern, Northwestern walks into assembly hall and beats Indiana 84 to 83 kind of jumped on them early and Indiana was able to claw back, uh, and not quite come up with a victory. This is actually an outcome that we got last year as well. Um, at least I believe, Oh wait, no, sorry. I don't know what I was remembering, but it wasn't that they did lose to Northwestern, but it was on the road. Um, Indiana, 84 83 loss to Northwestern. We touched on this in winners and losers, but to continue the conversation, um, for me, this says way more about Indiana than it says about Northwestern. And it's like truly unfortunate because it says something about Indiana that is just kind of out of their control. And 175 points combined the Hoosiers have given up in their last two games, 175, 91 to Iowa and 84 to Northwestern. That's a lot of points. That's a lot of points for a team that coming into the season and for and early in the season was supposed to be a, you know, one of the 20 best defenses in the country. And for most of the season, they have been, but it's a team that finished 24th at Kim Palm defensively last year. They're 42nd this morning. Um, and it's not anybody's fault other than the fact that their best defenders are hurt. At least two of their best three defenders. Right. Xavier Johnson is out. Ray Thompson is out indefinitely. Um Mike Woodson isn't exactly sunshine and rainbowy about when Xavier Johnson is gonna come back. And having a foot issue is never a good thing when you're a college basketball player. Um but it's it's pretty clear that their defense isn't anywhere near as good as it is with race Thompson and Xavier Johnson on the floor. There are a couple other things I want to touch on as well, but that's kind of where it starts for me. Um, you can't let Northwestern walk in and score 84 points on you in your own building. You just can't let it happen. And they're learning that e- if you give up more than 80 points, even when you score, cause that's the other part of this that's frustrating. They've scored 83 and 89 points in these last two games and it hasn't mattered yep. because they've given up so many points. Um, We've been pessimistic about Indiana or at least not as high on Indiana. I wouldn't say pessimistic. I think both of us have conceded that that's a good basketball team without wanting to go all the way to maybe the ceiling that other people thought they were going to have. But it's unfortunate that a team that their season was as anticipated as Indiana's was that it looks like it might be one that, ultimately is dictated by the guys that didn't get to be on the floor rather than the guys that were.
1: Yeah. And I would have loved to make this about Northwestern. There, There's just no way to. Yeah. It's, and it's exactly what you said, that they shot 50% from three. Again, right? Taken out of context, you give that piece of information. I don't care how good of a season Northwestern's having. There's no way Northwestern wins that game. Mm-hmm. But you've seen the defensive struggles these past couple games and, right, the offense has not been the issue. It's not, in fairness to Indiana, it's not the, the things that are the problems right now are not the things that you and I have been highlighting since the very beginning about why this team has limitations. And the injuries certainly have a lot to do with that. You can probably survive with what without one of those two guys at least for a little while, right? You know, there's been some other guys, I mean, incredibly important players who have been in and out of the lineup a little bit, and they seem to be navigating okay, mm-hmm. not where the Indiana fan base wants them to be. But now you lose these two at the same time, and yeah, the defense is just kind of falling apart. There's and the other issue in this game was the turnover difference. If you look at, you know, I kind of like looking at box scores and trying to figure out why games went the way they did, because sometimes it just doesn't make a lot of sense outside of one area. and that area, in this game, was turnovers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But when you're that poor defensively, every possession gets magnified because you're not getting stops, and so now you're making Northwestern's life easier because you're turning the ball over, and you're not making up for it by, you know, holding them in the half court when you're not turning the ball over and letting them get out in transition, and this is this is the result.
0: And not playing defense heightens the other thing, which is that their role players just need to not be asked to do that much. Right? They have four really, really good college basketball players on that team. And they have, I mean, they have eight good college basketball players on that team. They have four really good ones. And I think two elite ones. I think Trace Jackson Davis is elite. And, I mean, Jalen Huchfino, we haven't mentioned it yet, but he yeah, yep. had 33 and on 12 of 17 shooting in this game get six turnovers, but that's to be expected when you're a freshman with the ball in your hands that much as a result of your veteran running mate being being injured. Um, those two guys, Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen Huchifino were combined 51 points on 15 of 29 from two-point range and Jalen Huchifino was 5 of 7 from deep. That's pretty good. The rest of the team had 31 points on nine field goals. And from a efficiency standpoint they were they were just fine but none of those guys are being asked to score at the volume that you'll need if you're not if your defense isn't going to be very good and the unfortunate part about it is that Xavier Johnson is the head of the snake so to speak when it comes to the to defensive ball pressure and he's one of those guys that can take lots of shots is willing to take a lot of shots and can have 20 points on any given night Right. That's the other unfortunate part of it. Cause without him and Ray Thompson, you lose interior defense and lose rebounding. A
1: little bit of versatility in there. Too, and a little in terms bit of, of switching. Right. 100%.
0: Yeah. And, but with Johnson, not only do you lose some of your options offensively, you lose kind of point man number one on the defensive side. So it's a double edged sword in that sense, the worst kind of double edged sword. Cause both issues are kind of glaring at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's another one of those things that in theory, right, both of these guys are back at some point. If you can just hang in there and give yourself a chance heading into the Big Ten tournament and give yourself a chance heading into the NCAA tournament, all hope is not lost. There are reasons why this is happening. It's not just that this team isn't good enough collectively at full strength. The question, very similar to Arkansas, is – Do you ever see, and I mean, Arkansas, like we said, the injuries, no, because of the Brazil injury, but of the pieces potentially available still, do you get them back at all at full strength at some point? Or is Mm -hmm. this just a constant battle all season to try and get Thompson and Johnson on the, on the floor? And, you know, one of them comes back, but they don't look like themselves and, or you don't get them back enough to kind of get that cohesion. And you've already, you know, really took a tumble in big 10 play. Mm -hmm. because they're both out for another month it's yeah it's it's one of it and it's disappointing again because it's difficult to then make a commentary on this season because it's just impossible to tell how good they really are clearly Mm -hmm. they're good at feels full strength clearly they're not the best team in the big 10 at full strength but where in the hierarchy are they and you can't evaluate that right now without Xavier Johnson and race Thompson.
0: I would be surprised if we see Ray Thompson again this season, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And like Xavier Johnson has been out for a while and it's still when he's when Mike Woodson has asked about it in press conferences, it's still very abstract. And I, I would be surprised if we, if we don't see Xavier Johnson again, they're kind of on both ends of the spectrum. I would be a little surprised if we see Ray Thompson again based on the injury he got. Um, like, I wouldn't be stunned if it's actually an ACL tear and they just haven't told people yet um, or are getting a second opinion kind of thing. Um, with Xavier Johnson, I think they were pretty clear up front it was going to be a little while, but you would love... I think it, you know, it's been almost a month since that injury, I think, that you would love to have something a little bit more concrete so hopefully hopefully both of them come back um my uh, my uh my bet for the over under would would not be would not be over under one and a half it would probably be well over under half a player coming back which is which is unfortunate anything else today got a national championship game tonight apparently totally (laughs) forgot about that by the way until about (laughs) <laughs> eleven o'clock on Sunday night. There you go. That tells you how plugged into the college football season I am. Um all I'm asking for is for the game to not be over at eight thirty. That's yes. all I'm asking for. Yes. The game starts at seven forty. If it's just not over at eight thirty, I'll count it as a win. It's pretty Let's low. Keep bar it interesting Frogs. It's pretty, pretty low bar for a national championship game, isn't it? I mean,
1: how much can you expect after those semifinals, though? Are are we asking for too much because the semis delivered in a big way? No, I
0: am not asking for too much, asking for the national championship (laughs) game to be competitive. No, Josh, I'm not asking too much. I'm not. Maybe for college football, I am. But in general, asking a national championship to be competitive after semifinals are competitive, that's not asking too much. please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days pod. Check out the YouTube bite-sized content there, both in short form and segmentized subject form, um, as well as the full podcast on our YouTube channel. TikTok as well, even, even smaller bite-sized, maybe fun-sized content, if you will, uh, on the TikTok vertical video format. So you can find that at Jays for Days pod pretty much everywhere. I've searched it up. You should find us on the various social media platforms. We'll be back later in the week to, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know what we're talking about. We'll figure it out at that point, but uh, talk to you uh, on Thursday. We will to channel my inner Yoda. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.